Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hi, it's Martin here. Electronically Yours, as always. Well, today, it's a very interesting one, actually. I've got Ivan Derushchuk. I'm not quite sure if that's how you pronounce it. The lead singer of Men Without Hats. And, of course, everybody remembers the safety dance and that very odd video with um, people in what looks like a medieval English village or something, but a very catchy tune. And they wrote some very um, kind of smart, sly, lyric, uh, electronic pop songs and had quite a lot of success. I mean, that was number... Safety Dance was number six in the UK, number three in America. That was their first single. And, yeah, I mean, they they, they are very much from that tradition of uh, immediately post-punk new wave electronic music. Canadian, from Montreal. He's a very nice chap. Uh, they're still touring. In fact, they're going to be touring the UK next year. And uh, you should check them out. I've seen videos of them and they sound pretty good to me. Um, so here he is, the very lovely Ivan Derushchuk. I like the branding. <laughs> Got it all there. That's it. <laughs> there in the background. For the, no mistake. For the podcast listeners, because this isn't in video, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is uh, the men without hat symbol and some synths, which is entirely yeah. appropriate. How you keeping? Very well, very well. Yourself? Yeah, a bit up and down, but you know, it's just the nature of the pandemic that we've been living through, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very uh, personally I'm a, uh, somebody who finds it hard to write music when they're not in a good mood you know oh. and <laughs> i think uh uh you know i can't write um, pop music when when the world is burning so uh, mm. it's been difficult for me anyway what about you have you been doing some new writing yeah well we put it we we had scheduled that whole the whole of last year to take off and and be in studio and isolate ourselves so it didn't really change our plans. We we recorded over twenty songs, and uh, great. It, for us, it was business as usual. We were that's what we were looking to do. So we didn't really have any contact with anything until now. I'm sort of coming back into the world now and sort uh, of well, realizing what's going perfect. on. You timed that perfectly because we had uh, um, we were going to be doing our first ever full scale headline. American tour and German oh. tour and a UK tour and festival dates. It was going to be our busy, busiest ever live year, 2020, and that, that got completely fucked up. So um, so we timed it badly. And shame. You, you did well. You did well. Yeah. yeah. So is that album finished now? It is. It is. We just released the uh, – it's a double album. It's called Men Without Hats Again, Parts 1 and 2. And the part part one is a uh, five song cover EP, which we released on September twenty fourth. It has covers, it has all the young dudes, Mata Hoople. It has right. uh, Satellite of Love. Great. And we even 
we even do a reworking of reimagining of our of, of safety dance we do a, a sort of a, a revisiting of safety dance where i imagine that i return to the village of west kington 40 years <laughs> later and meet up with the characters who were in the original video so it's, oh uh, cool have you done a video for it then we're in the we're in the in the it's in the works right now we're in we're in touch with the original cast and oh uh, wow we're, yeah, it's I was just watching that this morning and thinking, mm. I mean, I remember it from back in the day, obviously, but uh, I kept, I remember thinking, who the fuck are these people? They are so strange, but the mm. tune is so catchy that, um, uh, and uh, obviously it was, um, um, had a degree of humour in it. And uh, I'm big friends with Devo and it kind of reminded me of Devo. So um, I get, yeah. bet you get that all the time, don't you? Yeah, I love the evil eyes. So. Yeah, do you know? Do you know? Um, do you know Jerry and Mark? I, I, I've, I've, we've played with them a couple of times. So right. I've, I've met them a couple of times. Yeah. They're good people. They're very good. Yeah, people. very nice. Very nice. So tell us about growing up in um, Montreal. Uh, Montreal, I, yeah. It's hard for us to comprehend um, in the UK how that must have been at the time. So tell us about the kind of punk, post-punk scene there. Yeah, well, it was in uh, 1976, 77, actually, I was in France. I was I was studying uh, law at the Uni Université de Nice, and uh, I returned to Canada in, in 77, and I was sort of came back with the, with the wave of, of punk new wave from, from the UK and Europe. And uh, growing up in Montreal was 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 unique in North America. It's an enclave in North America, French-speaking enclave in North America, very European influenced, and so our musical tastes were very different from the rest of Canada and the rest of the United States. We were a, a sort of a launching pad for bands like Genesis and Pink Floyd, and while other you know the rest of the country was listening to heavier. You know, heavier metal type of, right. type of thing, guitar, guitar music, more guitar oriented music. And uh, Montreal was always very sort of, uh, you know, into the, the progressive rock, King Crimson, yes, yeah. like that. I was as well, yeah. Mm -hmm. And Montreal was also very connected with New York. I used to call it the Little Apple because it was very connected with, with New York in the disco scene. Right. And uh, so it was a very big disco hub at the end of the 70s to the mid-70s and, and, and the 70s. Uh, and there any, sorry, was there any um, uh, disco acts came out of Montreal? Oh, well, I wouldn't call Gino Vanelli a disco act, but... Uh, no, no, really. <laughs> uh, Frangeli, uh, there's uh, Lime... Uh, I don't know. These are obscure, like you know, dance dance things. It was right. no Barry Whites or anything like that. But um, um, Barry it's, it was, so it was. <laughs> it was uh, so it was. Uh, I've always thought that my anyway. My, what I brought to the table was because I was front and center in the in the disco thing. I was one of the original club kids there, I guess. And uh, so for me. New Wave was an extension of it was a sort of a meeting of progressive rock and disco. Right. Yes, I would I was, agree with that. I mean, in the UK, um, with the early Human League, we got kind of 
we we were regarded as uh, maverick outsiders because we, you know, when uh, the whole kind of oh disco is over thing was happening, um, and the UK and and then the kind of rock indie rock kids were going oh the disco that's just that's cheesy you know and all that I'm going no 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 Abba come on they're brilliant songwriters. And, and loads of that disco stuff was a major influence on us. And of course, it it relates to the um, to to the way that you make electronic music as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and since I was a, I was a classically trained pianist, my mother my mother was a voice teacher at McGill University. Right. That, that was her life, and so we grew up listening to every morning CBC classical music on the radio while we had breakfast and having to practice an hour, an hour and a half of piano every, every day. And uh, so I was ready. I was, I had the disco, I had the piano, I had the progressive rock and. Uh, and jazz. And I wasn't really into jazz back then. My father was a sort of, my father was also a musician, but he was, uh, he, uh, he, he, he kind of brought a bit of the jazz in, but we, we, I only got into jazz after I, you know, in my later years, in my life, you know, right, 50 right, years right. old. Sometime. The other thing, I, I, I mean, uh, I've never been to Montreal, and I realize I've been to Toronto, but um, <clears throat> is is uh, comedy, isn't it, um, is a big thing in Montreal. Is that correct? There's a there's a big uh, comedy festival, Just for Laughs Festival. Yeah, it's also I used to watch big, that yeah. on British TV. And yeah, I think, yeah. Oh, I, I really want to go to Montreal because it seems like a fun place to be. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll prank they'll prank you and stuff like that yeah yeah <laughs> put you on tv exactly um but um so let me have a look at my notes here um so you you were kind of messing about with bands kind of 77 onwards is that right yeah and uh you 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 were initially it was a punk thing right and then when it was a punk thing. did you have a a kind of Epiphanal re- revelation about I, the reason I ask this question is because I, uh, it transpires that several people who probably you admire as much as I do, people like Gary Newman, d- had this pathway where they started as punk, and then Gary Newman's uh, epiphany was going into a studio and there was a moog, right? And he started playing. It, he said, and he said to the band, literally within a minute of playing it, he said. This is the future. We're going to go back and rewrite all these songs, and that's what they did. And the rest is history. So, did you have anything mm. like that happen to you? Well, it's funny. Funny you should mention Gary Newman because it was after I heard our friends Electric. That really? was the that was the exact turning point. Wow! And uh, I immediately disbanded everything and got back in touch with a, a former friend schoolmate who I uh, knew who was into he had he had had a tape machine back then and he was making backwards tapes and collages and all stuff like that and so I knew that he was into keyboards and stuff and and uh, I got in touch with him and we started we started men without hats as a keyboard band and did you have uh, what recording facility did you have did you have a four track recorder or Anything like that, or was it all just when you got a you, you, you got a, a contract with a record company? That was it. That was right. it. We 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 started recording when we went into studio to do right. the first. So did you not have your own kind of recording facility at that time? No, no. We were just concentrating on 
on getting here. I didn't know too much about it. We didn't had I had no experience in recording. I didn't really didn't know anything about it. We kind of got in. I got into the to the business because I was a fan. I mean, that was those were my credentials at the beginning. Right, right, right. And um, I really like your songwriting. I think it's very dry. Oh, I think the lyrics are very. Uh, you know, people tend to take writing uh, pop music as being more trivial than kind of serious rock or whatever. I think I've got a theory that it's 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 actually much more difficult to write a a popular song than it is to write an average rock song, you know, and uh, and and there's a degree of irony and and kind of weight behind what you do, even though on the surface it seems to be very jolly generally and kind of stuff. There's there's a depth to it. Where do you think you. that's right? That's what I've sort of attempted to do is to make sort of, you know, be self-aware of what I'm doing and, and also, you know. So is it kind of tongue-in-cheek, a lot of the stuff? That you, you a, lot of, a lot of it is, yeah. A lot of it is right. double meaning. I, I try to write word, lyrics that can be interpreted, you know, there depending you on who, who's reading it, you know. There you go. That's different the, meanings. The classic. Um, were you influenced at all by Bowie? Oh, yeah. immensely yeah. right and and did that influence the way that you wrote uh, lyrics for instance it it most most probably did you know i never thought of it but i uh bowie was definitely right across you know all across the line a, a major influence because that's you know i was into glam also i was into yeah, the disco too. thing but it was the it was the gay discos that i was going to and that's that's the, the, those were the you know that's Everybody knows those were the, they played the best music. That's right. That's had the most beautiful women, and so yeah. uh, and so I was uh, you know dressed to go out to a gay disco. So I was getting a lot of heat from my from my friends, you know, for the way I was dressed too. And Bowie kind of legitimized the you know what I was doing, and so so he was he was sort of uh, you know a big help back yeah, then. Yeah, absolutely. Which um, Bowie period do you um, lean towards? Well, I first heard Bowie. I first heard Space Oddity. I guess like everybody else, and and uh, I didn't. I would I would listen to FM radio at night after everybody had gone to sleep. I would yeah. I would get, get my radio, and those were the days where they would play hours of music without saying who it was. And so I kept hearing this Major Tom thing, and I just I never knew who it was. I didn't know who it was. I didn't know there was no way of figuring it out back then. And one day I got home from school, and my younger brother Colin. I heard I heard the song coming out of his bedroom. Right, I ran, ran up the stairs. What? what, what are you doing? <laughs> and he was there with a turntable, slowing down the t playing it at a slower speed, so he could figure out the Mick Ronson solos, like oh, you know, wow. yeah. accurately, you know. And uh, he's the guy who turned me on to he he had and he had two or three of them. He had he had Space Oddity. He had the Man Who Sold the World. He had uh, like he had like like. A whole by hunky dory. He had like he had the first three of them right there, you know. So yeah, the and, um, uh, the so when I first started, I, how old are you? Sixty four. I'm sixty five, so we're more or less the same age. Mm -hmm. Um, <clears throat> in my teens, when I started staying overnight at friends' houses for all night parties, my best friend was Phil Oakey, the singer of the Human League, and um. 
well, he wasn't the singer of the Human League then. Obviously, he was my classmate. But uh, so and and the new technology then was eight, eight track uh, cartridge players, and he had one. Mm. And the one of the first two albums that came out um, in that format that that he bought anyway was um, uh, Hunky Dory and Manu um, Manu felt uh, Manu sold the world, and. For the first time ever, you could you could listen to those albums, and you'd always have the stragglers late at night. Everybody's gone home more or less, and then there's a few people left, and you just put on the album, and it would repeat endlessly while you fell yeah. asleep. And mm-hmm. it had such an influence on me. The only thing I couldn't deal with is they used to just fade out tracks in the middle and then fade them back. <laughs> Start back up, yeah. I remember it that. Really missed me. Um, I remember Wits of the Circle <laughs> faded out halfway through. I'm going, what? <laughs> no, no, no. Anyway, but I, I, I'm just fascinated with the, the uh, diverse influence of, uh, of Bowie on so many different artists. Um, so, so disco. I'm looking at your. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've done some. I've actually done some research. Believe it or not. Um, so. You know, I saw another interview by you where you where you said your first I think it was your first album was by Frank Zappa. Is that right? It was. Yeah. And I, I yeah, Frank Zappa uh, for myself and Phil Oakey was an immense influence. I mean, I listened to everything I could lay my hands on, right from Freak Out, you know, throughout that entire period where. Uh, where Oz magazine was coming out in London and all the you know the the the, um, the alternative lifestyle stuff and psychedelia and I'll even oh, I love that that period is my favorite period 60 68 to 73 I think is the finest mm-hmm. period for recorded music in pop music mm-hmm. pop music mm-hmm. personally and um what what tell me about what influence Zappa had on you as a creator do you think he had any? Oh, oh yeah, so definitely too. Yeah, he's uh, the first album I heard. My friend, a friend, my best friend had absolutely free. What and we used album? To just, we just listened to it. We knew it all. You know the lyrics by heart. We just we would sing along. It was the, our sing along record. It was just, it, I don't know. It just defined. You know, it helped define us. It was it was uh, the rebellion, I guess, the, the sort of anti-establishment. And, the, that really appealed to us. It was kind of the early, you know, proto-punk, I yeah. guess, yeah, in, really. in, menta- in mentality, you know, and, and and just the long jams, you know, the solos and everything like that. And, and I went out and bought Burnt Weenie Sandwich. That was the, the, <laughs> my first, first record. And that was, it's and hard to sing still, along to that. but uh, No, it is. Uh, but it's still, to these days, one of, an album that I still put on regularly and listen to and just, I love it. I just think it's so awesome. I, I, I regularly, I don't think you could probably exhaust... Zappa's output, and um, I mean, I still love oh, two hundred motels. I think he's a work of genius, frankly. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> and right. and then you know, and uh, yeah. Anyway, for, I followed him all the way to the end. I really, really love his orchestral album as well. Yeah, uh, strictly genteel. I just think I, if I ever want to test a, a sound system, I always oh, yeah. on um, the track strictly genteel. With the London Symphony Orchestra, mm. that'll do it. Um, so, so um, how, how do you think that 
um, the kind of prog rock thing, which we both like. We're of that age. Um, you see, people wouldn't normally put prog rock together with disco, but they were both major influences for the early Human League as well. And I'm just trying to... Uh, kind of decode the influences that so many common people around the world had from these disparate elements. Can you what what elements of prog rock do you think manifest themselves in what you did, or is it just a general attitude of conceptualization? It was the keyboard. Well, for me, it was the keyboard. You know, element it was right. the, the synthesizers. The, the Rick Waitman, etc. Rick Rick Waitman, you know Keith Emerson, all these, all these, you know. Did you ever see Keith Emerson play? No, no, I didn't. Oh my goodness, I saw Emerson Lake and Palmer a couple of times at Sheffield City Hall, uh, mm. where uh, and I saw them. I saw him play with the Nice, which is even wow. better. Yeah, where yeah. he used to smash up his B three every night. Or whatever. I don't think he really did. I think it must have been wrong. <laughs> but it was still impressive to a young, impressionable lad like me. Um, and that was genuinely uh, influenced what we did, I think. Um, so who was your favourite prog rock um, artist, do you think? Gen Genesis. Yes. Genesis, Peter Gabriel Genesis. It was, uh, it was a sad day when Peter Gabriel left Genesis. I was... It was I over. was in mourning for quite a while. It was over. But his solo al albums were excellent, weren't they? Um, yeah. As well. But it still wasn't Genesis. I mean, I, I saw them during the um, Selling England by the Pound uh, tour. I saw, that, I saw that tour also. Yeah, I saw that one too. Blew my mind. Blew yep. my mind. Yep. And uh, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, which I still listen I to regularly. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, let's go back to to, to this, which is so eight, 1980, you had this uh, realization that you know synth synth pop. Who did you regard yourself as being closest to of your contemporaries? Would you say? I mean, style wise. Uh, style wise, I guess I, I I was I was trying to well vocally. I was trying to emulate. I was very uh, influenced by. Brian Ferry, Roxy Music, <laughs> were my were my heroes too. Me too. And, yeah, yeah. and uh, there again, Brian Eno. Brian Eno's synths in the first two records were were magnificent. A big one. Yeah, yeah. I, I I I was at a party with him the other day. We had a good a good chat actually. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's a naughty boy. Is he? <laughs> he's mischievous. Yes, he is. That's that's good to hear. Yeah, I'm trying. To, I've been trying to get him on the podcast, and I made him pledge to uh, to do it in front of witnesses. He said, "Oh yeah, I'll definitely, definitely do it." Emailed him the following day, not responded. You know, so there you go. Um, I'm sure he will eventually. He's a big fan of. Uh, used to collect. Um, uh, pornographic playing cards, if I remember rightly. Yeah, like on the cover of uh, No Pussy, no pussy footing. footing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so right, we've done that. Done that. Um, I mean, we've all dealt with record label rejection, and I think to yeah. uh, to still be doing stuff after you know forty years, you've got to be resilient, or else it's not going to work, <laughs> is it? You know. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a labor of love. 
Oh, Definitely. it's got to be. And so, which label are you on currently? Well, we're uh, we're on a Canadian label called Sonic Envy, but we're distributed by Warner in right. North America. Right. Cool. And yeah. um, and um, so I'm just looking back through your history. It's like you briefly became a kind of guitar band in the early '90s. Is that right? We did. We did. We uh, we uh, had a contract with Polygram. And they weren't really. They had put out a put out our like a synth record, in that it was called Men Without Hats in the Twenty First Century, and they weren't too sure if they wanted to make another record. They were sort of dragging their heels. And I it was the early nineties, and I just told them, I said, "Listen, give me half the budget, that, and I want to make and let me make the album I want." I was hanging out with I have a friend in Voivod, if you know the heavy metal trash the thrash band Voivod, and other you know early early 90s musicians and everybody was sort of into nirvana getting into these bands nirvana and yes soundgarden all these bands were becoming popular and uh so i just decided i was hanging out with these guys we just we would we would go and after the pubs closed at three in the morning we'd go to our jam space and and finish off the evening jamming and uh we wrote a bunch of songs i wrote a bunch of songs and we put out a, a basically a no synth record and oh, uh, no. we had, did you actually it was that the billing it was like no we didn't like, oh no, we've, but put, it, we've put aside our childish toys now <laughs> yeah but that said there was no there wasn't a cent on the, to be found on the record and uh the the record company just did, absolutely did not know what to do with it the it it, it you know in the it, in the sort of in the you know for the people who knew about it it, it uh they liked it quite a bit but uh like i said listen you try uh, things don't you not everything we had a blast making it, and I still listen to it too. I'm still proud of it. So yeah, good, uh, good. I mean, we did a similar thing with Hem Seventeen, and we kind of, I th think, a little bit lost confidence in making records that were sounding the same all the time. So we ended up getting more and more um, session players in, and kind of lost our way a bit. And then we got dropped, of course, and then. Mm -hmm. yeah, and then you go back to it later, which is what you did, right? Well, that's exactly the exactly the road that I took too, you know. So, and um, actually, I really like um, the the kind of synth comeback album that you did. I oh, thought well, that was that was cool. Um, yeah. What's interesting is it struck me. I was listening to to the whole. Not I'm not listening to everything, but I've listened to samples from each of the albums, and um, is how digital recording technology has changed the sound of, even though you're using a lot of the original synths and stuff, it just doesn't yeah. sound the same, you know, as that yeah. war lovely warm analog uh, tape saturation, you know, yeah. particularly for synths, I think. Um, and uh, um, on another issue, um, there's a little game that I play with some relevant people who have been heavily involved in... Um, Purely electronic pop music, and I did this with um, I think it was Daniel Miller and uh, Howard Jones and a couple of other people, and um, this thing we play this game called Seven Deadly Synths. So it's basically, uh, which is a tribute, of course, to Eno, uh, De Seven Deadly Fins, um, uh, where you, you I ask you what your favourite seven synths are. 
because you must have used this, you know, a whole bunch of them. So um, I don't give people advance warning of this because I think the spontaneous thing is more fun. So um, judging by what's behind you, <laughs> I can't quite tell what that is, actually. That's a V-Synth, V-Synth GT? That's what I play live. I, saw, I yeah, really I saw like it. Yeah, I just my, it's our latest it's our latest uh, latest member of our family. Yeah. I have a, we I've been we're just, we're just I've trying been playing, it out. I'm I'm sponsored by Roland and they give me synths to play. Mm -hmm. And um none of the current synths are as good for playing live as the V-Synth GT. That's what my you've brother got the proximity sensor, you've got all that kind of drama of that on stage. You've got yeah. the touch pad, you it's just great and it sounds great. Um yeah. So good, good choice. Is that one yep. of your seven deadly synths? That would be one of them. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. Um, tell me a couple of others. It'll it'll be uh, the, painless. This, yeah. Yeah, pro, the Pro Five, the Profit Sequential Circuit Pro Five. All right. Is our, pro five. That, that was our workhorse. The Yamaha CS50. Oh, I love that. That's such a great synth. Mm -hmm. um, the Roland SH2. Yeah, I used to have a Roland. SH3A, I think it was, more or less the same. Yeah, uh, good. We're up to uh, Vsense GT. Sorry, I'm just writing this down. So that's four. Is uh, if you call, you, you can call the a Arp drum machine if you want. Arp Selena, do you consider? Oh, the Arp I love the Arp Selena. <laughs> Is that considered a synth? <laughs> I don't. Doesn't, doesn't matter. I'm allowing it, right? And there's two more to go. The Lindrum. Yes, got to be. The, the one, the number one. The so. number one. None of the others. In fact, it's the best drum machine of all time, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, they've tried replicating it in different ways, and it's never quite the same. Something about those original samples was so good. Yeah, um, Lindrum. And the last... I'd have to say the ARP 2600, because that's the one that I... That was a, my learning synth. I, I actually studied. I went to when I was in university. I had took a electronic music class. And, Did you? Yeah, and that was one of the that was one of the synthesizers. Lucky that, you! I wish I'd got one of those. I've got a yeah. software one, but none of those software synths are anything like. I mean, they use they help the workflow, yeah. uh, but they're not really. None of them are as good as the originals. I mean, I've got I've got these here, like the original System One Hundred. Roland, wow. yeah, wow. which is awesome, and yeah. the Korg 700S, both yeah. are from the mid '70s, and yeah. um, that's the, those two cents are what we wrote uh, being boiled on, um, and I still use cool. them today because they sound better than any of the virtual synths, you know. Yeah. Um, well, that was good. That was quick <laughs> and painless. So I reckon humor is a big thing for you, you in in your uh, in your um, work uh dry humor would you yeah. say that's a reasonable comment oh yeah yeah it's um it's uh it's always worked good and uh um so uh hold on i was just looking here so if you say you say you had to pick say three uh bands who are your biggest influences who would they be i have to say my biggest influence probably the big band that influenced me the most was gong ah. 
Alan. I've got my arms in the air, podcast listeners, because <laughs> Gong were a massive influence on on on, on us. We I saw them playing a car oh, yeah. park in Sheffield in oh. 1972, and they were doing their cheese rock thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I had a friend who came back from Europe and he brought that record. He brought the Camembert Electrique record. That's, that's the record, yeah. And uh, just we looked at the, you know, the title, Squeezing Sponges Over Policemen's Heads, and it was the first song. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I and, remember uh, they had, they played in the car park in Central Sheffield. And um, when it was, was this? free. When it was free, of course. And, uh, and what, year, what, what year would that have been? 72. Wow. And they, 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 there was about eight of them, and a couple of them, they got, they, they'd got these uh, paper plates printed up that said uh, "Cheese Rock Rules" or something, and they were throwing <laughs> them out into the audience. And I'm going, "What is going on here? This is crazy!" And they were proper, proper hippies. I mean, oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. my god, they were like, def- but of course, it was only kind of three or four years after the the apogee of hippiedom wasn't it mm-hmm. so well, i actually so, i i got to meet well i got to meet and play with him a friend of mine now is hansford Rowe, who was played bass for them during the well in pierre morlaine's version of gong right he he played bass with uh on a, on a on a few records so i i being friends with him i got to meet some of the old the, the older characters like really? later on but uh oh. i never got to meet david or anybody no like no that. and and yeah, they were a major influence, actually. I think not so much the music as the as the sheer attitude. I mean, people go, oh, punk was amazing. It lit the touch paper for a load of stuff. Well, it did, and it's a defining moment. But actually, you and I both grew up through a period that was kind of more punk than punk, I thought. Mm-hmm. You know, like all that stuff and the, the really out there kind of... Um, Krautrock stuff, you know the the oh, yeah. Faust oh, yeah. and Can and Amondul and all that stuff, and uh, and a lot yeah. of that was quite poppy actually. Can in particular, yeah. yeah. Kraftwerk was a big influence on Kraftwerk, of course. It goes without saying, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, did you get? Um, speaking of disco, did you get? Were there record shops in Montreal that did kind of European? Mm-hmm. Uh, disco imports, you know, because there was quite a lot yeah. of, I mean, Giorgio Moroder stuff springs to mind, but uh, things like Supernature, Chironi, all that stuff. I suppose you got all that stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got that. We had we had New York, too. So we had both. We had the Europe connection and and the New York connection. So we were well served in, in, in music. And I used to, at night, used to try and dial in the, dial in the Detroit stations, you know, on the radio really? too, and, and, and try and pick them up on the AM frequencies, you know, like on the edges and stuff like that in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, it was, we, we had a lot of good music. And, and like I said, like bands like Genesis were coming to Montreal, playing the Montreal Forum in front of 15,000 people, and then going down to New York and playing the bottom line or something really? in, front of a few, in front of a few hundred, you know, so what? it was... Yeah, it was. Wow. We were uh, ahead of ahead of the curve on as far as North America and prog rock was was. So a lot of stuff came through. A lot of stuff. All the band, Gentle Giant. All the all these bands were were playing big venues in Montreal. Did you ever see? Uh, I don't know if they ever toured in uh, Canada. Uh, Magma. 
No, I did not. Oh. They, they, they've toured since I was. At the oh interview, my but, uh, God. Yeah. I have never seen anyone hit a drum harder than that in my life. Yeah. Well, got my friend had four snare skins during the gig. <laughs> yeah. Christian Vander. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's uh, completely mental. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else was it? I was going to ask you something else. Um, so who, uh, Tell me a couple of favourite disco records because I'm I'm on a kind of mission to try and repopularise that period of of uh, or, or I'll kind of um, put into place in history the influence that disco had on uh, people who you'd never expected to have an influence on and you come into that category. So tell us a couple of your favourite um, disco records from that period. My number one all-time favorite disco track is date with the rain by eddie kendricks really i've never I, i've never I'm, i may have heard it i need to hear yeah. that okay date mm-hmm. with the rain date with the rain eddie kendricks yeah. eddie kendricks was uh the high falsetto voice oh, in, i know eddie uh, kendricks i've yeah, never yeah, heard yeah. that track i'm gonna look it up right now um and I'll tell you, in return, I'll tell you my favourite is, or I, I, and I think it is the grooviest record. Maybe some Earth, Wind and Fire come clo- comes close, but um, is um, uh, Do the Bus Stop by, by um, oh God, what's it called? It's gone out of my head. Bus Stop, it's got a bed, boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 the grooviest most relaxed bass line and I, I love um chic of course um yeah i mean yeah, yeah. um niall's a good friend of mine and and what have you and it's hard to beat bernie edwards but i'm telling you man that's that's my favorite um okay so we're coming close to the end um the the thing that i would like to ask you is Oh, yeah. I've written this thing down here when I was listening to your stuff. It says, guilt-free pop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because now, every, unfortunately, we're in this phase where pop is almost like a dirty word because it's so been so commercially driven. But this is like guilt-free. The joy yeah. of popular music from that period mm-hmm. is embodied in, what, in your work. Oh, cool. um, Thank you. Yeah. I think that's reasonable. Okay, so uh, do this kind of smash hits thing. Don't know if you ever had it in Canada, but there was a there was a magazine in the UK called Smash Hits, and it yes, was just stupid questions. And um, so this is my uh, kind of homage to that. Um, what's your favourite film? Aguirre, Wrath of God. Oh, I love that. It's a great film. And disturbing, uh, yeah. A favorite book? Favorite book? What am I? Dune. Dune. I, have you seen the new Villeneuve? I book? have. Is it good? I have. Well, I'm a. I I I I, I wish Jodorowsky would have made his his version of Dune. Yeah. I don't know if you've, you've ever seen the the book Dune, the book that he made. Uh, no. Oh, a, a, hold on. Yes, I think I have. Yes. And where he has like uh, Dolly, he has Dolly acting in it, and Mick Jagger and everybody. Right. So nothing comes close to that, I don't think. No, it, was, uh, it looks very I, shiny Hollywood. The trailer that I saw. Yeah, yeah. I, I watched about half of it, and it was 
it was a chore. Oh, no. Oh, how sad. Because mm-hmm. despite all its ludicrous flaws, the original Lynch version has some magic about it, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think it's, it stands up. Notwithstanding the weird choice of uh, Foreigner to do the, uh, the soundtrack, wasn't it, I think? Didn't they, they originally had like a, a symphonic score and it got ditched or something? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, there's a lot of stories. Yeah. Um, uh, Favourite TV show? Past, present, box set? Doesn't make any difference. Favorite TV show would have probably been uh, Monty Python. I knew you were going to say that. I (laughs) knew it. I just knew it. It's at the top of most people's list, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. We Um, used to get. I got that. We got that. I watched it by accident one night, one Thursday night, late at night, and it appeared on the CBC and without any warning. And uh, couldn't believe what I just saw. (laughs) I was like, I don't know how old I was, fourteen or thirteen or fourteen or something like that. Perfect. Perfect. The, um, the the there's a book which um, is all about the history of Monty Python, how it came about, and they were saying that when it first went to Canada and the USA, it was just a you know, a random punt by the by the network, you know, going or it started maybe in certain regions, and it just blew up. It became this massive underground thing. And um, before you knew it, it was it was massive. Um, yeah. And of course, the original pilot episode was called "With the Canada." <laughs> Did you know was that? It, uh, no, no, I didn't know. <laughs> you know, they used to have titles at the front of everyone, and the first yeah, yeah. episode was called "With the Canada." <laughs> In fact, that they were that was one of the alternative uh, titles for Monty Python for the title of the entire series. Oh. They're going to call themselves Wither Canada. What? I didn't know. I don't know. I didn't know that. No. Well, yeah. Uh, um, so your favourite? Uh, we've already established what your epiphanal moment was. I think, unless you have an alternative. Um, your other musical artist or composer? Favourite. A favourite. A favourite. Pink Floyd, because I haven't just haven't haven't mentioned them yet. They were. They're a big, big influence. I saw the Dark Side of the Moon tour. Did you? Yeah, I've never seen them live. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I've kind of worked on a couple of things that Dave Gilmore's been involved with. He's one of the nicest men in the music industry. It's given me great pleasure. Likewise, Nick Mason. Um, but I've never seen him perform live. Yeah. Um, I, of course, like everyone else, I had metal. And uh, relics of Pink Floyd and all that stuff when I was growing up. I loved all that stuff. Um, when it turned into more of a kind of, this is what you listen to when you're stoned. I got, a bit <laughs> le- I got a bit less interested for some. Reason. Yeah. Um, ambition unfulfilled. Ambition unfulfilled. Well, but walk across Canada. Christ Almighty. <laughs> I was planning on doing it a few years ago, but I got sidetracked. And uh, that's absurd. How long would that take? It would take almost a year, probably. Interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Are, are there not long areas where there's not much happening, though? Uh, well, it's all you know. There are the prairies and the the Rockies, and there's but there's there's civilization all the way through. It's kind of thinly stretched along the American border, so 
beautiful, beautiful country, though. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, which is the favourite of your own work? Ooh. I tell you, I really like that guitar record. <laughs> Sideways. I like that one because it has so much fun making it. And every time I think about it and every time I hear it, I, I, it puts me back into that, into that era of just having fun and just making a record that you know is probably, that, you know, there's not going to be any consequences and, uh, yeah. and we, we can do what we want. And, and that was, uh, but I also love the first record too, because it is the sort of the founding moment. And, right, and, right, know, right. I, I get a lot of joy. Great. Um, well, good Lord, you came straight out of the traps, didn't you? I mean, straight, um, I mean, you had such success with safety mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, so, um, and then, I know we've done the seven deadly synths, but you've got to choose one. Which one is it? The Pro 5. Right. The Prophet. The Prophet. That's, I still have the original one. My, my, I still have my first one. And I still use it. I used it on the last record we did, and but I it's, it's fat. An, an old old. It's there's nothing to compare to it. There's nothing. Yeah. I've got the new. I've got the the, the Prophet sixes, and and I haven't really tried the new Prophet five that they've made. But uh, the Prophet sixes are. It's a different technology, so it's just you just can't compare it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, to, I'm I'm in contact with the people who are kind of design design new roller machines, and they just they cannot uh, and will not afford to um, to uh, build stuff in the way they used to do it. Uh, it's just no, they don't have the components, let alone anything else. In fact, if anything goes wrong with my System 100, uh, people have to build purpose-built components because they don't. Yeah. There's no back catalogue of components. You know. Anyway, <laughs> that's all for since today. Um, <laughs> It's been a pleasure talking to you, Ivan. Thanks so much. Likewise. For doing likewise. This. And um, I look forward maybe one day to seeing you play live. Are you got any plans okay. to come to Europe? Yes, we do. Next year is the 40th anniversary of, of the Safety Dance album and uh, Rhythm of Youth. And we're, we've, we've got two weeks in, U in the UK already booked for... I think it's May. I think it's I'm May. Sure. I looked it up. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Just remembered. And you're playing my hometown, Sheffield. So yeah, we're doing a bunch of tours. Yeah, I'll come and say hello. Yeah, <laughs> please do. All right, man. Have a great day. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Cheers, man. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Well, that was Ivan. Lovely guy, very chilled. Uh, like everyone, didn't really go into the ups and downs of their career particularly. Um, but uh, to survive in the industry for 40 years is no joke, as I can definitely testify to. Um, and they've had, uh, you know, a lot of ups and downs. They even did a guitar album, which had nothing whatsoever to do, would do with their success in the early 80s and since. Um, but, uh, interestingly, more or less the same age as me and has very similar influences, even though he grew up in Montreal. 
And, yeah, got on really well with him. Seems like a very nice guy. I'm going to go and see him next year when they come to either London or Sheffield. How's everyone doing? Um, things are opening up a lot here. It seems that booster shots in the UK and all that stuff coming up. And I've just had a flu jab, which made me feel like rubbish. <clears throat> Normal flu jab. So I just fed up with getting injected now. Um, big shout out to SJM Concerts for continuing to support the podcast, uh, sponsor the podcast. Um, they're a great company. They represent a load of uh, great artists in this country and putting on concerts. We all need entertainment nowadays. And um, Simon Moran, who's the originator um, is head of SJM Concerts. Thank you so much for sponsoring this podcast. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Time for some more emails. Uh, Tracy Roberts from Manchester. Hi, Martin. Hope the world is treating you well. It's improving, yeah. Just listen to the Joe Callis podcast and at the end you were discussing, discussing the format of future podcasts. After comments you received about talking too much... Please do not stop with the anecdotes and interactions with guests. As you can tell from my previous emails, I've listened from day one to podcast one. And to be honest, I never listened to a podcast before this, so I couldn't compare and thought they were all done in this style. I like the laid back flow of them. Whilst recuperating from being in hospital, I've listened to other podcasts in different subjects and found the Q&A format quite boring. I completely agree. There are very few other podcasts that I like. Um... I like the Blind Boy podcast, that's very good. Um, I like uh, what's the other one? I like Atletico Mints with Bob Mortimer and Andy Dawson. Um, I like um, Adam Buxton podcast. And there are a few others, uh, anyway. Uh, please don't change the format. How else would I have found out how Glenn really did his knee in all those years ago? You're an innovator in electronic music and being in the... Be an innovator in podcasts. Thank you. Uh, you don't need to read this out on air. No, it's quite long. Uh, it's kept me sane during COVID and my illness. Thank you. Well, anything we can do to help. Yeah, so anybody wants to email me with ideas for the show, um, all that stuff, thank you to SGM Concerts for, um, for sponsoring this episode and several other episodes. Um, and... Please consider helping to uh, support financially the making of this podcast. It costs me money to do. I am definitely losing money on it. Uh, but it softens the blow somewhat uh, with the patrons that I've got on Patreon. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash electronically hours. All one word. If you go there for the price of a cup of coffee or a pint of beer per month, you can help support uh, me making this and doing all the research. Spend a lot of time on it, uh, and I want to continue doing it. And um, if you do that, and also in return you get some exclusive episodes, you get more direct contact with me, uh, competitions, prizes, merch etc etc so it's good value for money and you've also got that warm glow of knowing that you're supporting keeping electronically yours the podcast free on all podcast platforms 
And um, that's it for this week. Uh, there'll be another impressive guest next week. Bye! What? <laughs>